Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the Word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. Oh man, if you want to take your Bibles, uh, today we're going to be in Jonah chapter 1 and 2, but we'll start in 1. Um, but it's really, it's really, oh, I forgot one thing. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we really want to bless you with a coffee on us. Uh, there's a QR code in front of you in your chair. So if you scan that and fill out the form, we'll send you an e-gift card to your email to Dunkin' Donuts. So you'll start your Monday off with a free coffee on us. And we just, we just want to thank you for visiting with us. That's about it. Um, so moving forward from that, so Jonah chapter 1. Now, how many of you, and I'll start off with this, because I think this is a really helpful illustration as to kind of what I'm going for. How many of you have ever seen the Justice League movie? Okay, nobody likes DC movies. That's okay, because I don't either. Um, <laughs> but there's a, so there's about a year ago or so, that movie came out, and it was pretty terrible. Um, and then... Several months later, the director's cut came out, and everybody was like, oh my goodness, like, this, is so, this is so much better than the original movie. And what's interesting about that is it's the same, like it's, it's the same raw footage, it's the same plot line. The difference is, is somebody else chose how the information was arranged and, and how it was presented. Same story, same idea, but it was presented in a very different way, in the form of a director's cut. And so today, the, the title of my message is The Director's Cut, as we talk about the book of Jonah. And what I want to kind of, just kind of give you a frame of reference as to what we're talking about, how I want to frame this today is, is if Jonah were to tell this story, he would tell it a very different way. Um, but today, the story that we have in our Bibles, you know, a lot of times we think that it was written by Jonah because it's called Jonah. Um, but the reality is, is that it's, it's not his story. It's God's story. And Jonah just, just happens to be a character in it. And so the question that I want to propose to you today as we go through this text is, how, how, what, what does your life look like from your perspective? And then how can we branch out and view that from the director's perspective? From how, how, what does your life look like from God's perspective? And how can we take that and apply that to our own thinking? Right? Because that's what makes the story of Jonah so significant is that it's not, you know, Jonah was a powder, like, if he would have wrote the story, it would have, been like a, it would have been like the sob story on Facebook that you just scroll past because you already know what the person's going to say. Like, oh, there's Jonah. He's just on Facebook complaining again. I'm just going to unfollow him. So we're, like, still friends, but I don't have to see his stuff. Don't laugh like you don't do that because I know you do. <laughs> and maybe I've done it to some of you. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but keep that in mind as, as we go through this text. And I think that, that Jonah especially gets a... It gets a bad rep and we ignore it. We think we know the story really well because it's been like children's book, like packaged. Like when we look at it, we're like, oh yeah, the guy, you know, he, he didn't want to go to Nineveh, so he fled, got eaten by a fish, and then washed up on the shore, and, and then he preached to Nineveh, and it was a great day, you know? But there's a lot more there. And what I want to do is I want to take this, I want to take us to a different perspective of the story. And, and maybe there's some details here that, that maybe you've never noticed before. Um, so, but this is a really good text. I've thoroughly enjoyed just reading through it. It's a quick read. You could probably read the whole book of Jonah in like 20 minutes. 
It's a really quick read, and I would encourage all of you to go home and do that, so you've kind of got a full, uh, just a fuller idea of what's going on here, because next week we're, cha- we're, we're tackling chapters three and four. Uh, so there's a lot here, but we'll jump in, and we'll read, uh, we'll start with verse one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee, whoops, Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, so he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, and paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So the story starts out. God comes to Jonah and he says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach a message to the Ninevites. And Jonah's like, whoa, listen, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm not going there. And to give you some background, the Ninevites, it was an Assyrian, uh, it was a great Assyrian city. And the Assyrian Empire and Israel have, you know, they've had beef going back and forth for hundreds of years, right? So number one, this is a place that, that Jonah would not, not feel comfortable going to because it's dangerous. Like, they're enemies. They're at war with each other. And number two, Jonah, like, he knows what the Assyrians do. You know, the cities that they captured, they would impale people and just hang them outside of their cities. You know, these were people that you don't want to mess with. Like, the Assyrians, even today, like, they're known for having the most barbaric war tactics of any people group, like, by far. And so you can imagine Jonah's surprise when he gets commissioned to go and preach a, a message of God's mercy and compassion to a group of people like the Assyrians. It doesn't make a ton of sense. And so what does Jonah do? He flees. And what's interesting here, and this is a detail that I, you know, when I was reading through, I was like, oh, that's interesting. There's a, there's a phrase used here, and if you, all my, all my notes that I'm preaching from are in the program. So if you want to follow along, uh, you can go to bethlehemchurch.cc slash program, and you'll track with me on this. Um, but there's, some, there's an interesting detail here. We see the, the phrase, the first verse, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And we read that, and what we think about in our context is we think, like, maybe, you know, how, how does that, what does that look like? Like, did Jonah, did he wake up from a dream, and he hears, like, something audibly, and he's like, oh, that's God speaking to me. And that's, we can kind of rationalize that, and maybe there's a couple of occurrences in, in Scripture that would, that would agree, but what's important to realize is that in the Old Testament, the word of the Lord coming to somebody is, is very often, more times than not, a physical, like, man-like appearance from God showing up to have a conversation with somebody. And so this is not, you know, Jonah is not just hearing something. He's seeing someone. And this is, like, crucial when we see, like, how he chooses to run from this problem. Like, he literally, God shows up and he's like, hey, man, I want you to do something. <laughs> and Jonah's like, wow, bye, I'm out, I'm done. Like, I can't do this. But very, very interesting perspective, and the verbiage in the passage kind of reflects this. And so there's, a, there's an excerpt here from a, from a commentary. So God is the principal person of the book. That, that's made very clear in the first four verses. But it says, God is the principal person in the narrative, not Jonah. He takes control immediately. Yahweh, God's name, is the last word in verse 3 and the first word in verse 4 in the Hebrew text. And by sending a great wind on the sea that creates a violent storm threatening the life of the sailors, this act stresses his lordship over creation. And then he controls the lots, the dice that were cast, and ultimately causes the sea 
to be calm, just as Jonah hits the water. So the narrative shows, like it sets the table that the Lord is the focus of the story, and Jonah is just a part of it. And as we're looking at this story from the perspective of what is a director's cut, you know, what is, what is your life, what is the raw footage of your life look like in the hands of God? How does he look at it? And like we said, Jonah is that perspective. Jonah is God's story. Jonah is a part of it, and this is God telling the story to us in the 21st century. This is how God viewed it. And so are we, are we living our lives and running our lives as though we are writing our own story? <laughs> that was perfectly timed, perfectly timed. Um, but... <laughs> Go ahead and get it out. But, but if we are, look, if you look at your life, and this, is, and this gives some rationality to the response, the, the response that Jonah has. It clues us into how he thinks. You know, but if you view your life as your story and you're, you're in control and it's about you, then you may respond to events in your life in a similar way that Jonah does. You may hear something from the Lord and you may say, oh, no. No, that's not, that's not what I want to do. That's not how I envisioned my life going, so what I'm going to do is everything but that. And we'll see how that pans out for Jonah. And if you've read the book, you know how that pans out. But are we living that way? Ask yourself that question honestly. Is your life yours, or are you just a part of a bigger story? Is your, are, are you in control, or is God sovereign over your story? And we all know that he's sovereign over us, but do we give that to him or not? Do we allow him to work, and do we yield control over to, him, over to him? So ready, here we go. Lights, camera, action. So Jonah flees as soon as he receives his instruction. Verse 3 mentions twice that Jonah was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. The Hebrew phrase, li pene, Yahweh, could also be translated the face, the face of God. So, and, and this kind of gives context to what we were talking about when Jonah sees a visible manifestation of God. And this is not a foreign thing. Like Abraham, Abraham had the same experience. He sat down and had a meal with, with God in the, in the form of a man. So this is not like an uncommon thing that never happens. This happens to Jonah, and the Bible says that he what? He fled from the face. Jonah was not running from a problem. Jonah was running from a someone. And as we talk about having, having control, like, listen, when you choose, and look, we all, you know, we all can, you know, maybe some of us are more clued into maybe what God wants for our lives than others. I'm still kind of, you know, I'm here, right? But I don't know what God has for me in the future, but I'm content with where he has me. And, and some of you know what God wants from you in your life, but when we choose not to do it, you're not, you're not running from a thing. You're, you're not running from... From a task at hand, you're, you're running from him. You're running from what he has for you. And that's, that's not a good thing. It's just not. Jonah, <clears throat> Jonah 1, <clears throat> or I'm sorry, John 1.14 makes the proclamation, watch this, that Jesus is that same being who was the word. In the beginning was the word. And the word was God. And the word was with God in the beginning. And so Jesus in the flesh was the incarnate word of God, the second person of the Godhead appearing to Jonah. There's a lot going on here. There's a lot going on in the text. 
And when Jonah makes the decision to cut and run from his issues, he, he's not, you know, sure he doesn't like the Ninevites, but he's like, nah, God, I ain't doing that. I'm running, I'm running from you specifically. And look, it, I, I kind of, I empathize with him because I get it. Sometimes what we feel like God has called us to do feels very big. It feels very difficult. You know, being, being a good father, a good husband, being a, a good pastor in this day and age is difficult. It's hard. And if God's calling for your life seems difficult and impossible, that's because it is. That's because, and hang with me, I know that's harsh. That's because it is impossible if he's not working through us. It seems daunting. And Jonah's response was nothing short of an average human response to a calling that felt impossible. He said, listen, God, I know you love those people, and I know you want me to preach a message of your compassion to them, and I know you want them to repent, but I'm going to show up, and they're going to kill me. They're literally going to, and then they're going to hang me outside of their city. And he said, I'm not down with that. You don't know what you're talking about. And when we think about that response, we're like, oh, Jonah, what a guy. You know, we read the book, and we're like, this guy's such a dummy. You know, he doesn't know what's going on. Obviously, if he, you know, if he was really a prophet, he would know that God wouldn't, wouldn't lead him somewhere that, that he wasn't going to take care of him. And then, we, and then we sit there for a second, and we're like, huh. You know, that sounds a lot like me. <laughs> that sounds a lot like how I would respond if God asked me to do something difficult. And what we find is that, you know, the calling of God is hard and it is difficult, but it's, it's the only way. And as the story progresses, we're going to see how this plays out. So verse 3, or I'm sorry, I scrolled down a little too far. So, so the heart-wrenching story that we have here, in, in, in Jonah's mind, God's plan was the problem. God's plan was the problem in Jonah's mind. Overwhelmed by the task at hand, his solution is to run. First Peter, or I'm sorry, Second Peter uh, 1, 3 through 4 says this, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Listen, his divine power has granted to us the church, everything that we need for life and godliness. You may look at your problem and you may say, that's really difficult, I'm not gonna do that. But Peter in the first century, the apostle that was faced with death at a certain point, he said, listen, you've been given everything. The Holy Spirit has empowered you with everything that you need to go about your life and fulfill God's will. In your own power, you, you can't do it. It's not possible, but Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. And so if you find yourself in Jonah's position where you feel like where you are in life is impossible, you don't see a way to, to make your marriage work. You don't see a way that, that your kids are gonna come around or you don't see a way that, that your, your employment situation is gonna work out. He has given you everything, everything. Believe me when I say Ask somebody who was coughed up by a whale if he hasn't given you everything. We haven't gotten that part. Spoiler alert, he gets thrown out of the whale. But he's given you everything, everything that we need. And it's not a, it's not a thing that he's given us. He has given us himself. That's all we need. That's all we need. 
Personally, professionally, and spiritually, you have been equipped by the Spirit of God to do what he has called you to do. Jonah set sail to Tarshish. So here's, the, here's an interesting note. So I've always thought that Tar- Tarshish was a, was a place. You know, we think about this, but really, there's an excerpt in, in your notes there. Uh, Tarshish, sometimes a, it's really hard to pronounce, sometimes a place name means open sea. Jonah hoped to run away from the Lord by taking a seagoing ship from the Philistine port of Joppa out to, into the Mediterranean to a distant site. He probably didn't care where he was going. Like when it says like, hey, I wanna go to Tarshish, he's like, hey, listen, I wanna go anywhere but right here. Anywhere but where God wants me to do something, that's where I would like to go. That Nineveh place over there, let's go like way over here. Even if it's a deserted island in the middle of nowhere. We don't, we don't know where Tarshish was. It's likely that the writer thought that this was just, you know, this was like an expression. Like, hey, let's go to, let's go to Timbuktu, you know. Like, yeah, that's a place, but it's really far. It's not here. Like, that, that's kind of what, what he was going for. So, now here's, man, this hit me like a ton of bricks. So Jonah, there, he gets to the ship. You know, he pays his fare. He gets on the ship, and he's like, okay, I'm good. I've escaped my problems. I've successfully managed to get away from doing the thing that I don't want to do. All right, let's go take a nap in the boat, right? You know, he gets there, and then all of a sudden, you know, he awakes from his slumber, and he's like, what's going on? And there's, there's storm. The storm is raging. The boat's moving, and the sailors are throwing stuff overboard. And he's like, oh, man, not this time. No, it can't be right now. And here's what's interesting, and this, this kind of gives you some context to maybe where Jonah's mind was. In the ancient Near East, it was kind of a, a common thought that deities were regional. And so he's like, if I just leave Israel, you know, maybe God won't follow me. That's his land. I'm going to go somewhere else. And maybe one of the gods of these other nations won't ask me to do you know, this thing that, that, that Yahweh is asking me to do. And so he leaves, assuming that his problems won't follow him. And can I tell you something? They always do. You can't escape your problems. Ask Jonah. He knows as he wakes up in a storm on the boat. But, you know, there's a storm raging and the sailors are throwing stuff overboard and, and they're, it's funny if you read it, they're like, you pray to your God and you pray to your God and, and Jonah, whatever God you worship, you pray to him and, and see, you know, the verse, the verse says this. So the captain approached him and said, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And that hit me, man. I was like, oh my goodness, like, like the captain to Jonah, and Jonah probably felt a certain kind of way about it, but perhaps your God actually cares. We sit here in a room today, and your God actually cares. He does care. But to those around you that are not in this room right now, you know, do they look at you, and do they see a God that cares? Do they... <laughs> Can they, if they were to come to you and say, hey, look, can, look, just, just pray, you know, see if your God cares. And that would hit you like, man, they don't even know. They don't even know that I do worship a God who cares. They don't even know that I do have the answer to their problems within my heart. In an act of desperation, the sailors are praying to any and every God they've ever heard of, and Jonah has had the truth the whole time. He, he's known who's causing the storm from day one. He knew who he was running from, he knew what he was supposed to do, and he knew who his God was. And when push comes to shove, he's like, yeah, I can, I can do that. And then it comes out that he's an Israelite, and his God is, is Yahweh, the God of Israel. But how many, how many people around us are searching? 
It's, it's all the time. It's all the time. We're, we're around somebody and you never know. And my advice to you would be ask the Spirit to guide you. Ask the Spirit to show you who around you may be searching, who may be struggling, that you can help with the truth of the gospel. But how many people around us are struggling, are hurting, and they're, they're open to hearing about what you've got to say? And we do have something to say. We have a Jesus that loves you and them. He loves them just as much as he loves you, but we go about our lives, and they are the sailor that comes to you and says, hey, does your God care? Hey, do you know somebody who can fix this? And usually we're like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I, yeah, you know I'm a Christian, you know, but we, we never really go beyond that. Can I tell you that there is, a, <laughs> there is a hurting, struggling world in here and outside of here? And the only thing, the only thing that can truly help somebody is the gospel. And they cannot, Paul said, how will they hear except a preacher tell them, except somebody tell them the gospel? People will not hear it if we don't tell them. That's the purpose of the the 21st century or or all centuries church is that we are a center of people, we are a group of people that spread the good news. We spread the gospel, right? And all of these people that are, that are under, under bondage of, of the forces of darkness, we can release them from that bondage just by telling them, hey, my God cares about you. Jesus cares about you. He cared enough to shed his blood for you. And he rose from the dead proving who he was. And that's why I am the way that I am. That's why when you see me, you're like, what's going on with that guy? Why is he happy all the time? I know what his life's like. Your, your face says it all. Your face says it all. And people shouldn't be running from your face like Jonah ran from God's face. But keep that in the forefront of your mind. I read that and I was like, man, that quote from the sailor, perhaps your God will be concerned about us. He didn't even know. But Jonah knew. Jonah knew that his God's plan was to one day take back the nations and include the Gentiles in his plan. Jonah knew that. And the sailor was on a boat with Jonah for probably a couple hours and didn't know that. It's sad. It's very sad. How many, <clears throat> sorry, another, uh, another verse here, verse nine. Jonah, <laughs> he comes clean. He said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened and they said to him, how could you do this? <laughs> right? They're like, what are you doing, man? You held this info from us the whole time. You could have helped us out, bro. We threw all our money overboard. And you're just like, oh yeah, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the God who made the seas and the land. And they're like, great. Day late, a dollar short, bro. Like, thanks for helping us out. And for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. He told them himself. Jonah, smart guy. So after being chastised by the sailors for bringing calamity their way, and Jonah seeing that God had not let up, Jonah's solution is what? He's like, okay, just throw me overboard. <laughs> and as you read the story, you'll pick up that Jonah has a lot of suicidal tendencies. It's kind of funky. You know, multiple times in the book of Jonah, he wishes or tries to cause his own death. So at this point, Jonah's stressed out. He's like, I'm, dry, I'm running. I'm trying to escape. It's not working. He's like, here's my next idea. Why don't you just throw me in the stormy waters? That's a great plan, Right? And they're like, well, we ain't gotten, we threw everything else out, so we might as well throw you out, you know. And so they throw him overboard. Jonah was, he he was like, this is my last resort. The only way 
that I can escape God, if taking a ship to nowhere land can't do it, is death. And can I tell you that death is not the option? And this isn't, a, this isn't necessarily a, a message about your mental health, but, but a lot of us get to a place where we feel like death is the only way out. The only way that I can escape the true pain that I'm feeling is through death. That's how Jonah felt. He feels that way in chapter one, and he feels that way at the end of the book in chapter four. And it's really sad. But can I tell you that just like God had a plan for Jonah's life, once again, we're looking at this from the director's cut. Same story. God was looking at the same thing Jonah was looking at, but the story looks a whole different way. It's got a whole different vibe. And just like God had a, had a plan, he had a story that he wanted Jonah to fill out, he has that for you too. Death wasn't the answer for Jonah, and it's not the answer for you either. It just isn't. God has a plan for your life. He does. The Bible says that he who has begun a good work in you, you know, salvation, God saved us, he will perform that work. That is an ongoing work until Jesus returns. If you're sitting here today and you're breathing and you're a Christian, you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the work's not done. Your story's still ongoing. You can't watch it yet because it's not over. Your story's not over. That's a, that's a tough pill to swallow sometimes, that there's, <laughs> there's more. Jonah's like, I thought my story was over. I got thrown in the water, and I thought that was going to be it, but it's not. It's not over yet. It gets worse, you know? Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. But God has a plan for your life. The Bible says, uh, verse 12, he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier, if that's a word. Uh, lost my spot here. Even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, we earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. So there's a lot going on here. And this is... And if you read through Jonah and you're like, oh, he didn't really hit on that a whole lot. That's interesting that he missed that. Well, you've got a lot of content. And I'm trying, to, I'm trying to give you the skinny. But if you want the whole thing, go back and read it. But we're kind of hip-hopping through here. But there's a lot here. They were, they were rowing desperately. They didn't want to throw him overboard. And they're like, you know what? We're not going to die on account of this man's life. Lord, please do, do what you're going to do. And so despite the fact that Jonah was a bad example... Despite the fact that Jonah was running from the Lord, these people, the Bible says they went back to their home country and they worshiped God. They became followers of Yahweh because Jonah was a bad guy. That doesn't make any sense, but it happened. And the Bible says that whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. You know, God is going to use you for something whether you want him to or not. Jonah's story is a paramount example of that, that Jonah was in a bad mood. He didn't want to talk about it, but guess what? These people ended up being followers of Yahweh anyway. He, he's going to work. You, it's a lot easier, though, if you let him work through you. Jonah didn't let him work through him. Jonah didn't, didn't want God to use him. He didn't care. The, the, the narrative paints it pretty clear that Jonah did not care about anybody but himself. He didn't. 
And so what happens? He gets thrown in the sea, and he gets swallowed by a big fish. Now, <laughs> I, Rob's here. Rob and I joke all the time. He knows it makes me upset when, he's, when, I, when he says something along the lines of, yeah, Jonah got swallowed by a whale. And I'm like, it wasn't a whale, Rob. It's not what the Bible says. It says big fish. It says big fish, Rob. I'm calling you out right now in public. Right there. That's the guy. That's the guy right there. But there's something interesting going on here. It's a big fish. And I always kind of wondered why it was so, such an ambiguous term. And if you look at the Hebrew text, uh, the, the traditional text, the Dead Sea Scrolls, like all of it's pretty uniform. And then you go to, you know, fast forward to how Jesus would reference it. Jesus references Jonah. And he uses an interesting word. Uh, he uses the Greek word katos, which is sea monster in uh, Matthew 12:40, And so, and then in the Septuagint, the story of Jonah, which is, that's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, um, they use like the same word. It's like a sea monster. And so if any of you have, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, you've heard, you know, like Leviathan and some of the sea serpents and sea dragons sort of things. Uh, Genesis 1:21, God created the great sea monsters. You know, these are, it's a, it's a thing, you know? And so when, when Jonah is swallowed up by this fish, and, and this is like, if there was ever, if there's a part that you need to hone into and pay attention to, it's this right here. Because this is like, this blew me away when I read the story, when I figured out what exactly was happening in the narrative. So the sea monster in the Old Testament is a picture, is a picture of chaos. And it's a picture of, of everything that is not Garden of Eden, like forces that are opposed to God. That's... That's what that means, that's, that's where that's at. It's present in the Psalms, it's present in the prophets, it's present in the Torah, yeah, everywhere. You know, this is a very consistent theme. And Leviathan's a theme that, that most of us would be, or a name that we would all be familiar with because it's so, it's so common in the Old Testament. But Jonah is not swallowed by a whale. The Bible portrays it in both the Old and New Testament that Jonah was swallowed by like a sea monster is how it's portrayed. And I mean, I guess a whale could be a sea monster if you don't know what a whale is. I don't, I don't really know. But how it's portrayed, right, director's cut, how is, it being, how is it being laid out? You know, Jonah was swallowed by a force of chaos. Jonah was swallowed up into chaos by this, by this creature. And if we read Genesis 1, we, we, re, we read that God created the heavens and the earth and he did so without any opposition. But in the ancient Near East, there were other cosmology stories of gods creating, and, and part of their, their thing was, you know, they had to battle a sea monster to, you know, that, was, that was in the chaotic waters to, to create and to bring order to the world. And that is not at all the story of Genesis 1. God speaks, and things pop up, and they exist. But Genesis 1.21, it says that God created the sea monsters. In Hebrew, it's taninim. You know, it's quite literally a sea dragon, you know, and the point isn't that, like, we should go look for sea dragon fossils. That's not the point. The point is that in other, in other God's creation stories, they have to fight and battle a sea dragon to be, and be victorious. And God says, no, I created the sea dragon. Like, the sea dragon is something that I thought about and I made. I didn't battle it. Why? Because it is, it is obedient to me. I am lord of the chaos dragon. Like, that's the picture that's being painted here. And so... If we look at the story, and I know this is strange. <laughs> Some of your faces are like, what? What's going on? I thought it was a whale, you know? <laughs> this is a, a strange take, but it's so consistent and it's so powerful. And you'll see where I'm going with it. Um, and there's some other notes in the program there for you if you're curious. Um, but Jesus uses the term katos, which is a, a Greek term. So Jonah wakes up in the belly of this creature to find himself alive. 
and he calls out a psalm of thanksgiving from the belly of the fish. This is chapter two, verse two, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, and you heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows, they passed over me. And so I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death, and the great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head, and I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever, but you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. It was the end. Curtain. Show's over. Right? Jonah gets thrown into a stormy, stormy waters, and he's like, well, I'm in the middle of the ocean, so this is probably it. And then he gets swallowed by a sea monster, and then he's like, this is surely it. That's got to be it, right? No. The story's not over. The story is actually, as we find, it's just beginning. And as we kind of put this together, Jonah was swallowed by what he and everybody of his time, regardless of what kind of creature it was, something that exists exclusively to destroy and to kill. Like this was not, this was not a good thing to come across. There was no, like, no mix with it. Like it's just, you know, you encounter one of these things, that's it. You're done. As Jonah prays, he describes the belly of the fish as Sheol. He thought he died. What God has used to deliver Jonah, though, and set him back on the straight and narrow is what would have been viewed by all as a death sentence. Are you, is the picture starting to come together? What, what God used to deliver Jonah from the situation to set him back, you know, the, the, the fish spits him up on the shore, you know, however far that was, we're not sure. But what God used to deliver Jonah was something that, that everybody else thought would have killed him. The, the forces of chaos that swallowed him up, like, not good. You, once again, looking at it from Jonah's perspective, I got swallowed by a fish, not a good situation. And God says, well, let, let's see how this plays out. Director's cut, right? Let's see how the story plays out from my perspective. The sea monster was, was still something created by God, and thus under his dominion, Genesis 1.21. Look, even, especially look, look at Jonah, not exactly a prime example of a cutthroat, you know, faithful guy. Cutthroat's probably the wrong word, but not a faithful guy, by all accounts. But yet, even the bleakest situation for Jonah, somebody who was not the best dude, was not outside of God's control. It just wasn't. Jonah looked at it and said, yeah, surely this is it. And God said, no, the thing that you think is going to destroy you is actually pretty awesome because it's going to take you to where you need to go. The, the, the sea monster, the sea dragon that's swallowing you up is going to set you back on a path for a second chance. And so even though, even though we'd prefer otherwise, and this is, and this is like top-tier questions that everybody asks, whether you're religious or not, why do bad things happen to good people? We all ask this question, and we all are always, regardless of what the answer is, we're always kind of unsatisfied, because it just doesn't make sense, right? And in Jonah's situation, maybe you can kind of understand it, because he wasn't really a good dude, you know? But why do bad things happen to good people? And here's, here's another thought on that. Even though we'd prefer otherwise, sometimes the vehicle of God's blessing looks like the biggest tragedy, Sometimes what the world around us and we would look at and say, that's a really bad thing, that really stinks, that's terrible, 
God looks at it from his perspective and says, no, that's actually a really good thing. That thing that's happening to you, you can't see it from your perspective, but the thing that's swallowing you up that you, you think is going to destroy you is actually building you up. It's actually going to take you to a higher level than you could have been without it. And so as we look at, and this is like, this is big, big like philosophical stuff of our day, right? There's plenty of people that will never don the doors of a church because of things like this. Why, why all this trauma? Why all the hurt? Why all the bad? That doesn't make any sense. If God is so good, why would he do this? And in the story of Jonah, from God's perspective, he says, listen, the things, things are not as they seem. Things that you think will be the end of you will make you a better version of who you are. And Jonah might have came to that conclusion like, you know, gnawing his arm off trying to get out of it, but he figured it out. Jonah washed up on the shore after being thrown up by the whale, and he says, wow, that's really cool. <laughs> that the thing that I thought was gonna destroy me, God actually used for good. God actually had a plan, and it didn't look like the way that I thought it would. And in all of our lives, we have things that we look at and if you're looking at it from your perspective, you say, that really, I, don't, I, don't know why, I don't know why God would do that. I'm still trying to figure that out. But if you're looking at it from God's perspective, you say, he works out all things for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. He is a good God, not because he doesn't inflict trauma, not because he doesn't let trauma exist, but because the trauma that does exist, he will use for your good. A God that has every, every power in the world to say, you know what, I'm gonna let him get eaten by that for fun just so I can watch, <laughs> right? If I was God, I'd be like, you know what, that might be kind of funny to watch, you know, right? I can't be the only one, I can't be. You know, from, but from that perspective, you know, we, we can see that like, you know, from God's perspective, we see that not everything is as it seems and the things that we view as detrimental or something that maybe would alter your life forever God says, that's right, it will change your life forever. But it's gonna change it for the better. And I'm talking to a group of people in here, I know all of, there's a lot of you in here that have very deep hurt. There's a lot of you that have dealt with things that, that I could never imagine. But, I wanna, but what I wanna ex exhort you with this morning, what I wanna tell you is that those things don't have to be in vain because you can let God use them to build you up. You can allow him to use that situation to put you back on a path to where you need to be and they don't need to hold you back anymore because all things work together for the good of those who he loves and who are called according to his purpose. That's us. That's this room. We're God's people and he wants to use these things to help us. He wants to use these things to build us up but he can't do that if we hold on to them and we constantly hold him over his, over his head. Like, why would you do this? And he's like, I He's like, I, I created the forces of chaos. You know, they're not, not something outside of my control. Your life is not outside of my control. And when, when things happen that, that you don't like, instead of saying, man, why would you do that to me? I'm never going to church again. Suck on that. You know, probably shouldn't have said that. Not great verbiage. <laughs> you get what I'm saying. But instead of responding that way, <laughs> I'm sorry, Pastor Matt. I'm really sorry. Um, but instead of, instead of looking at your life that way, let's look at it through the director's cut. Let's look at it from the perspective that says, you know what, this does really stink. This hurts deep. 
this cuts deep, and it's going to take me a long time to get over it. But I know that this is something that God is using in my life to build me up for his glory. And if we have that perspective, we'll be the coworker with a smile. We'll be the person that somebody comes to and says, hey, does your God care? And we'll say, he sure does. But that doesn't mean that my life's not full of hurt and struggle. It just means that I know what he's going to do with it. And I know that the end story, right, when the story is over and it gets to the director and he puts it all together and he makes it beautiful, that's the end product. And it's beautiful. But guess what? You're in the middle. You're in the middle. We've got Jonah's whole story, or the story that he's a part of, rather. But you're right in the middle. You're not, you're not at the end yet. So, man, that's good stuff. I read that and I was like, that is really good. Old Testament narrative. So three practical takeaways for those of you who may have fallen asleep 15 minutes ago. Um, this is your time to shine. So practical takeaway. These are in your notes in the program. Number one, your story is significant, but it isn't about you. Listen, all of you have a unique story. All of you have a story where God has shown his grace and his mercy and his love abundantly in your life. All of you have a story like that. But guess what? That doesn't mean it's yours. That doesn't mean that it's all about you. God says, I get, I, that's right, you do have a good story, but that story is, is about what I'm doing in the world. What I'm doing through you, I want to do in everybody else. And so if we look at our lives through that lens, once again, director's cut, what does it look like from God's perspective? What does your life look like from God's perspective? It's not about you. God says, listen, this is a story about me. It's not a story about Jonah. What, you, what you're supposed to get from this is what I'm doing through Jonah, not, not how Jonah's responding to me in this ironic story. So your story is significant, but it isn't about you. Number two, to run from Christ is to run to chaos. This is a lesson that Jonah learned super hard. If you're running from Jesus, if you're running from God's will for your life, and I'm talking to a room full of people in a church building, so I wouldn't say that all of y'all are on the run, right? It's not what I'm saying. But if you're in a place in life where you feel like cutting and running, where you feel like this is too difficult, it's too hard trying to be a Jesus follower, I'm just done, I'm gonna go back to where I used to be. I'm gonna go back to being the person that I was before I met Jesus, and I'm gonna live that way because it's comfortable. To run from Christ is to run to chaos. You're running to the sea monster. You're running to the fish that's gonna swallow you up. And guess what? Sometimes not everybody's as lucky as Jonah was. Sometimes the sea monster doesn't spit you up. Sometimes it swallows you, and that's it. Not everybody's that lucky. And if you're running from Jesus, even if you don't think you're going somewhere, like Jonah, he didn't think he was going anywhere. He's like, I'm just, middle of the ocean's fine. Whatever gets me away from God's will is fine. But if you're running from him, whether you know it or not, you're running to something. And that something is, is not always as kind as it, as it was to Jonah in this specific story. So to run from Christ is to run to chaos. I'm talking to a room full of people who know. We all know people who have fallen away from grace and their life turns to turmoil because because of this, because of this concept. I've experienced so much hurt, it's just, it's just, easier, to, it's just easier to run away. It's, it's just easier to turn my back on the faith because where I came from is comfortable and I wanna go back there where God is not because I can't, I can't stomach the pain that he's caused me. 
We're looking at it from our perspective. We're looking at our story from the Jonah perspective. What is happening to me? Why me? Why do bad things happen to good people? We're, we're, we're all thinking about, we're thinking about bottom, like earth level stuff. But if we're looking at it from God's perspective, we'll see that Christ is the only force in this world that is worth running to. And he is not worth running from. He's not. And point number three, practical takeaway number three. We're doing really good on time. I wanted to be out by 12.15 and it's 12.03. So we're doing really good. Tragedy often leads to triumph. It does. Just ask Jesus. He is the pinnacle example of how something that to the human eye appeared to be the most shameful, painful thing that could possibly happen to somebody ends up turning into the biggest blessing for humankind as a whole. That, that's it. it. It didn't look pretty when Jesus was hanging on a cross and bleeding and he was naked in front of a crowd of people. That wasn't a pretty thing. That, that by all measurable standards is a tragedy that an innocent man was hung on a thieves cross. That, that's not a good thing. It wasn't a good thing that he was beaten to the point where he didn't look like a human being anymore. It, it wasn't good that, that they put a crown of thorns on his head and his deity was mocked. It wasn't a good thing that he got to the end of his life and he couldn't breathe because he was hanging with nails in his wrists and in his feet. That's a tragedy. That's horrible. But guess what? That wasn't the end of his story. That's not where the story stops. Guess what? The story hasn't stopped yet because he rose from the grave. And the Bible says, or Jesus said rather, just like Jonah was in the heart of the fish for three days and three nights, that's where I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights and I'm coming back. Jesus is the prime example of how tragedy turns into triumph. And if he can do it, we can do it. Why? Because he's given us everything. Because he's given us everything we need to live the life that he has called us to because of what he did. And so when you look at your life and it's full of tragedy and it's full of pain and it's full of hurt, just know that that's not the end. It's not. The story's not over. Jesus is still alive and he's still working. And so as we come to a close with this, Three practical takeaways that, that you got, you got to burn this into your brain because this, I, I pray that this helps you as much as it's helped me. Your story is significant, but it isn't about you. To run from Christ is to run to chaos. Tragedy often leads to triumph. Listen, are we looking at our lives from the director's cut? Are we looking at it from our feeble perspective that our human eyes can see? Or are we using the spirit are we using the scriptures to see that maybe not everything is as it seems? Maybe God is working behind the scenes in our trauma and our hurt and the, com the complications of our lives. Maybe he's working in that. Are we able to see it? Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.